let this be the hour when we draw swords together. Fell deeds awake. Now for wrath. Now for ruin. And the greatest movie of all time. Today on the show, The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. The greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie. Come on and hear me now. Greatest movie podcast is the 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 greatest movie Welcome, everyone, to the greatest movie of all time, the podcast in which I, your co-host, the Macho King, Rick Barrasso. And I, the Big Deck Boski. Along with our special guests, our token expert, returning from our fellowship episode, the co-host of the You Gotta Hear This podcast, Joe Boynton. Welcome to the show, Joe. Thank you. I am not a Tolkien expert. I have read the books quite a bit, and I've listened to a few podcasts on Tolkien, but I, I would not consider myself an export, expert, but thank you. He has a certificate in, in, in Tolkien. He just doesn't want to talk about it. If I could get a PhD in Tolkien, I'd be all about it. But, well, let's talk about it. This is the podcast in which we are going to watch every single movie ever made, and we are going to help decide which is the greatest of them all. How's everybody doing today? Doing great. Excellent. It's getting hot. It is. It is uh, 90 degrees where uh, we are today. So that's a, uh, it was a, it was a hot one. And let's soothe ourselves as we return to Middle Earth. And we conclude sequel month with Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. But let's take care of some business very quickly. First, last week, we had someone who Derek claimed is a sex god. Uh, Lucas Lamont on the show. I wouldn't know. Maybe Derek does. Uh, and we gunned it to the, we gunned the DeLorean to '88 with Back to the Future Part Two. Two weeks in a row where I think Derek liked the movie a little bit more than I did, but I think that changes this week. So I don't is, know. We, we might have a change. I don't I, know yet. All right, we we might be equal on this one, but we'll <laughs> see. But listen to that episode. Go back and listen to our fellowship episode, with Joe. Uh, or any of our library on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever app you use, subscribe, review if you can. It would be extremely helpful for the show. Yeah, if you enjoy those or there's anything else you want us to cover, let us know on social media. We are the Greatest Movie of All Time podcast on Facebook, at Great Moviecast on Twitter. We're at Rick and Rec on Instagram. And you can always shoot us an email at greatestmoviepod@gmail.com. We would absolutely love to hear from you. And as our old friend, our dear friend, one of our best friends, Bruce Wayne would say, tell your friends about us. But today we continue our journey towards Mount Doom with the Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers. Now, Two Towers is a 2002 fantasy epic adaptation of J.R. Tolkien's novel directed by Peter Jackson. It stars Elijah Wood as Frodo Baggins, Viggo Mortensen as Aragorn, son of Arathorn, Ian McKellen as Gandalf the White, Sean Astin as Samwise Gamgee, Orlando Bloom as Legolas, Andy Serkis as Gollum, John Rhys Davies as Gimli, and the legend Christopher Lee as Saruman. And of course, a ton of other great actors and amazing roles that we could spend an hour talking about each. It made $947.4 million on a $94 million budget. It's got an 8.7 on IMDb, 
a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, an 87% on Metacritic. Peter Travers from Rolling Stone, 3.5 out of 4. Said it was spectacular, whether or not you were a fan of the books. Ebert, 3 out of 4, and says, while it was a very good movie in its own right, didn't quite capture the Tolkien spirit. Sarah Sands of the Daily Telegraph gives a negative review for saying it is, and this is hilarious in 2021, that it was too nerdy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Think about how much culture and movies in particular have changed in the last two decades. That, mm-hmm. That's a review that was in a... Uh, she must uh, feel like a fool now. Uh, I mean, she's, she's probably fine. Uh, but on the whole, just overwhelmingly positive reviews from most critics on this. Do we remember when we first saw this one? Joe, do you remember the first time you saw this movie? High school on DVD in drafting and design, which was my shop, basically my major, and high school at, the, at Northeast Vocational in Wakefield, Massachusetts. I uh, believe that is, and if it's not the first time, it's the, it's the furthest back I can remember seeing it. I did not get to see these movies in theaters. I did see the Hobbit movies in theaters. I didn't like them as much, but I remember seeing this on a big bulbous TV and uh, drafting and design um, coming towards the end of the year. Like everyone was just not doing projects, not designing homes or products. We were just watching DVDs and killing time. Derek, how about you? Uh, this was probably the most anticipated movie of my entire life. Uh, I saw Fellowship 13 times in the movie theater, so I went to the midnight showing of The Two Towers and literally almost cried right when it started because I was so excited. Yeah, midnight showing. I saw it probably like three or four times in the movie theater. I was just anticipating the Helm's Deep battle uh, just you know, in the theater. It was just incredible. The sound... Uh, uh, looking back, I wish I had nerded out even more and dressed up as a character, but, you know, whatever. I'm sure the, uh, you know, I, I actually, you know, I don't think a lot of people dressed up back then. I think a couple years later is when it started happening more, but, you know, um, it, was, it was it was funny. I was going to say this was my most anticipated movie, followed by Return of the King, and then after that was probably Dark Knight, in which you we were in the same theaters in separate groups and you did cosplay as the Joker. I was the Joker. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. A, a friend of mine was two Face at the time. Somebody else was Catwoman. Somebody was Harley Quinn. And they were like, you guys get to the front of the line. So we got into the front of the line. They started giving us free mugs and stuff. And they were like, okay, w- would you guys have your tickets? And we realized we didn't have them and they were at the house. Still. Oh, no. oh my God. So we made one of our friends drive all the way back and grab the tickets. And we were just like, sorry, we just sit around like idiots and, and, <laughs> and you know, and, you forgot the freaking, yeah, I felt like a moron. But anyway, oh uh, yep. God. Yeah, Two Towers, that, that was my experience of it. And I've watched it, I mean, about so many times since then. So that's sort of my uh, uh, recollection of that. My So my first experience seeing it, I saw it the opening Friday uh, at, I mean, probably like 7 p.m. So that the theater was just absolutely packed. And it was a year after 9-11. So everyone was ordering tickets for Twin Towers. We got to get the tickets to the Twin Towers. Oh man. Yep. Yeah. So I was like, uh, it's, and it's, and just the nerd me was like, gotta correct him. Don't correct him. Don't do it. Nope. Can't do it. But yeah, I mean, it was, I saw it with the same group that I saw fellowship and the same group I would see uh, return of the King with as well. So that was good. Uh, I, I remember prob- too, uh, how many people during that time were like, how dare they make a movie called the twin towers during after nine 11. And I'm like, it's a fucking book. Oh Probably. my God. And it's called the two towers. <laughs> Probably. Probably a lot. So Derek, as we do each week, 
we're going to have you put 30 seconds on your Spotify and I'm going to explain the events of the movie as best I can. Cause I think we all watch the extended edition. It's a four hour movie. I'm going to try to condense it as best I can into 30 seconds. What, uh, what song have you chosen this week? I am choosing the, one of the songs from uh, what's that movie? Um, well, why can't I find it all of a sudden? It's the, it's the movie that it took the trailer music from. Um, Requiem for a Dream. Requiem for a Dream. I'm gonna. Yeah. I'm looking for that song right now. Requiem for a Tower. This version is called in the trailer. All right here we go. I don't know if this is the right one, but all right, three, two, one, go. Frodo and Sam approach Mordor. They are joined by Gollum, who struggles with his identity. They are taken by Faramir, brother of Boromir, who considers taking them to his father, but eventually lets them go so the ring can be destroyed. Aragorn, Legos, and Gimli track Merry and Pippin. The hobbits first encounter a resurrected Gandalf, who sends them off with Treebeard and Ent. The trio of trackers become entangled with the goings-on in Rohan and help them defend Helm's Deep against Saruman's army of the uruk Meanwhile, the Ents flood and destroy Isengard. Boom. All right. 26 seconds. Nice job. All right. So now that we know basically what happens in the movie, let's talk about our three favorite scenes. And I have some honorable mentions, which I'll get to before I go to my, uh, my number one. And Joe, let's start with you. What is your number three favorite scene? Uh, I, so it's been a crazy week, so I didn't do my homework. So I'm, everything I'm going to say is just off the cuff. Um, you can't go wrong with basically all of the scenes in this movie. <laughs> my, my favorite scene, a lot of it comes down to acting and like how well lines are delivered. Like some of my favorite scenes are surprisingly Grima Warmtongue. That guy, whoever that actor is, is unbelievable. Brad Dorif, voice Brad of Dorf. Chucky. And if yep. I'm not picking my, you say he was Chucky? He is voice, yeah, he's Chucky's voice of Chucky, yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. But yeah, I would say third since I'm not picking my favorite. Any scene with him, it just really shows you how dedicated someone is to their craft. And he's one of the best in the movie. Yeah, definitely. Even that small scene with Eowyn where he's like touching her face and talking to her and like, you think so she's going to like succumb to his cr- creepiness and he's, she's just like, your words are poison and like breaks his heart. Weirdly, his <laughs> so, lines in that yeah. are Aragorn's in the book. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. They just, they just made them sleazy. Yeah. <laughs> sounding yeah. Again, the delivery of it. And in the book, it's very Aragorn is just like, yeah, I'm very noble and like, you know just like this this poor girl and it's like let's just say the same words but to your point joe just brad dorif's delivery just makes it gross yeah one of the best it goes right through the screen and affects you like that's you know he's he's up against heavy hitter actors and actresses like this movie has a cast of devoted actors that are just 10 out of 10 my only my least favorite acting wise in the movie i hope i don't offend anyone is is uh, orlando bloom i understand that very funny a lot of his stuff is very funny and after the they're taking the hobbits to isengard yeah because of that most of his lines are funny because you think of that line while he's delivering other lines right yelling i just start laughing like right yeah that that, like that video that meme that whole thing yep changes the movie (laughs) for the worst but that's my least if we pick me favorite yeah go ahead i'm sorry all right well we'll we get yours for for least favorite derek what's your number three favorite my third favorite scene of the movie since we watched the extended edition is the flashback to Boromir yes. uh, and Gondor with Faramir and Denethor. That scene out of all the deleted scenes should yeah. have been in the original cut. Um, this is such a powerful scene. I love 
you don't even realize that and because of the scene, it explains to you that Boromir didn't even want to go to Rivendell. He had nothing to do with it. He wanted to stay with his people. That's where he belongs. And Faramir, who wants to prove his, you know, to his father that he can do good things, is like, send me there. And Denethor was like, you're not your brother. So no, not, 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 not even close. So and- I, think, I think with that, just to, to no, sorry to step in your toes, Derek, but do you think if the brothers switched places... I, I think my take is that Boromir could have held us Gilead and Faramir would not have been tempted by the ring. I don't agree with that. I think Faramir would have been tempted because he, it, it takes Faramir a long time in this movie to get around to, you know what I mean? And, and again, I don't think he, I don't know if he was tempted by the ring at this point in the movie or if it was just, he just wanted to please his father. I'm not sure which direction it's, it comes in, but I feel like it's in his bloodline. Yeah, he's a heroic guy and he's, he's pretty stable, but I think, it, I mean, it almost, it almost gets Aragorn. It probably would have gotten Faramir, but who knows? Who knows? Maybe it is my, my book fan, like, nerddom, because in, in the book, Faramir just kind of, like, looks at the ring and goes, like, eh, not for me. Right. Like, I know, like, this is, this is no good. I can tell. And he's, he is stronger in that way than Boromir was, but I think Boromir was a better military mind. Yeah, yeah and, and it, it pro- proves that. And then this deleted scene where, you know, yeah. he's, uh, he's on top of the tower and he raises a sword and everyone's going crazy because Boromir saves the day and he's like the leader they need. Um, it's such a great scene and it's so nice to see all three of them in the same scene together, all, all three, three characters. Uh, and again, I, I wish this was in the original cut because it yeah. certainly deserves to be. I, I agree. And it, it shows that other side of Boromir because if you just watch fellowship and you don't know much about the lore or you don't see the extended editions you're just like oh Boromir what a piece of shit right exactly and this really explains a lot and and, you know I think and again I don't mean to jump on other things but throughout the trilogy there are a few things that are very questionable that Peter Jackson makes uh, as far as uh, scenes that he cut Uh, and there's one in Return of the King with Christopher Lee that absolutely shouldn't have been cut but you know yeah I think honestly by Return of the King I just wonder if it was just like oh we got to cut something and have a like a, a a draw for the extended DVDs. Yeah, I, I guess I know Christopher Lee was pretty pissed off, um, but it's understandable being the biggest Tolkien guy in the whole cast. Um, yeah. But anyways, yeah, this seems tremendous. I try to even push it further up, but it's really hard in this movie with so many scenes. Yeah. So my number three scene is actually the opening where you see the fight with, uh, with Gandalf and the Balrog. Oh wow! Yeah, because it's just. Going into it, I was not expecting, I'm putting myself in the position of being in the theater and just not expecting to see that portrayed. Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah, I had a bonus, absolute bonus. Yeah. And just, you, like the shot where it's just that massive cavern that they're following. And you see, and you remember how huge the Balrog was. Yep. And he's just like a little speck on the screen. Just and it's like, wow, this world is gigantic and literally and figuratively. Yep. And it was just that was just so cool. That is uh, not how the books start. If the nope. book started that way, they would have sold a lot more copies. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. So Joe, do you have a do you have a number two? Oh, man. Um I'm gonna say so it's, it's tricky because the movie to me is the battle of Helm's Deep. Like that is the, one of the main points of the whole movie. That is the whole, the, the, the big payoff is the battle of Helm's yeah. Deep. Um, I'm going to probably say um, when Gimli blows the horn at Helm's Deep, uh, because there's so much history beti- 
behind that horn. I'm actually watching it right now. I have it playing. And then they ride out to face this just unbeatable army, but they know in the background Gandalf is supposed to show up with help. You know what I mean? On like, um, but yeah, I would say when he blows the horn, because they, they talk about the, the horn a little bit, but it's something that you have to go back and think about and you have to go back and research. There was a great battle here. It is, you know, um, what's his name? Uh, Helm Han uh, I can't, I can't say the name. Helm Hammerhand. Yeah, uh, I can't say that. It's very tough for me to say right now. Um, this great warrior literally has this horn dedicated to him based on his bravery. And this place was his like stomping grounds in the past. And the fact that they're like rekindling that to boost morale to fight an unstoppable force is just epic. Like this is the most epic battle in movie history. So I don't know. I think my I'd first agree. and second is tied. I think this is the coolest battle in all of movie history, period. And I, you know, I, I love battles, but that's not, I love the character. I like the, the back and forth between characters and how believable and alive they are. I like that out of a movie more than a great battle, but I would say the Battle of Helm's Deep would be my, my second then. All right. Derek, what's your two? Yeah, we can keep talking about it. My number two is the Helm's Deep battle. Um, it is, like, like Joe said, it's, it's one of the two greatest battle sequences I've ever seen in a movie. Maybe, maybe if we're talking, maybe three. I have maybe three. But uh, Helm's Deep is certainly one of them. I would say the Pelennor Fields and Return of the King is another one. Uh, I love when, you, when the uh, Oliphants come and they're battling those. <laughs> what, a, what a sequence. And CGI is insane. Yeah. And then another one would be uh, Red Cliff which is a, uh, a foreign film and the battle sequences and that are just stupid. But Helm's Deep is one of the best things I've ever seen in film. Uh, everything about it is tremendous to Legolas sliding down the shield, just all the cool sequences they put together. Yeah. There's, really, there's really three sections to this battle, right? The yeah. section where they're shooting the arrows down, they're doing all that stuff. Once the wall's blown up, then Aragorn is down uh, at the field level, the ground level, and he's charging uh, with, with all the elves. And then, uh, and then the third sequence of the battle would be when, you know, when they ride out on the horses and everything. But the, the, the best part of this entire battle is there's two moments in this movie that are eight, the, the, the greatest moments I've ever seen in anything. And one of them is, and I'll talk about the, the last one, obviously in my first place, but the, the moment Gandalf is riding down that, that steep hill with the Rohirrim, yeah, yeah. and that yeah. point right before he hits, I, I, sometimes I just pause it and I go, that is the most beautiful shot I have ever yeah. seen in film. And I remember seeing it in the trailer with that music playing. And I was like, this movie is going to literally make my head explode. I haven't even seen it yet. But it's such a beautiful sequence. And it's, 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 it's heart-wrenching. It's, everything is so great about it. It's just amazing. But Moments I like that that make, that make the argument of like the Star Wars, the original Star Wars trilogy is the greatest trilogy of all time. And then this comes out and it's like, well, there is competition now. Exactly. Yeah. There is competition. That's one of those, that's one of those moments. Right. For sure. And uh, oh man, it's such a beautiful sequence, but Helm's Deep in general, I think the whole thing is just, and I was wondering, and I remember reading about this at one point, but I should have looked it up. I could have sworn at one point I read that they didn't mean for it to rain or they didn't know it was going to rain. And that added a whole nother element to the scene. I remember reading that somewhere, or maybe I saw it on the extended edition disc. Maybe I'm wrong. So it is raining in the book. It is oh, it is? Raining. Okay, okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, maybe maybe not in the way, maybe something changed as far as how they're filming it or something like that. Right, but. maybe it was something like that. But I remember, you know, watching the extended edition discs and everything, and it just shows, like, 
the battle being filmed and a lot of the people who did the battle, they had these shirts that said, I survived Helm's Deep, yeah. which was really cool. Cause they, those people just went through so much to film that. And it was what about incredible. This, when you're watching the battle of Helm's Deep, the fact that the elves joined to fight men for the first time, if you watch the Hobbit films, there's like moments where they turn their back and there's this whole like disagreement between men and elves where they have just not been on each other's side They've right on their separate waves throughout history when they used to fight side by side against morgoth and and uh and sauron in the early ages of middle earth and then if you think about it when you see all the elves that have died there's so much weight to that because they don't have the lifespan of men they are they're a completely different entity they're they are basically one with the earth through nature like they have a completely different experience uh than men do where men live and they were given the gift of death tolkien describes the gift of death where they have this short period of time and that's what makes it so meaningful where elves don't elves live on forever or they go from one stage to another and they go into the undying lands and they, right. just, they are a part of the earth as long as the earth is alive middle earth is alive and elves are alive yeah and when you see them dead that they fought beside men and they're dead because there's so much more weight i feel to their death than than the death of men in middle earth especially and, when yeah hell dear he like looks around and sees all these dead elves and then he dies himself it's just a heart-wrenching yeah the, the uh, uh peter jackson in the commentary uh for for the extended edition the director's commentary basically because the elves don't appear in the in the book in this right. battle Oh, man, really? Yeah, yeah, this this is something that I'm going to be talking about later, too, just so you guys know. They don't appear, but he says, at no other point in the story do we see elves die. So we need to, to, like, have a part in the story where we can see this immortal creature pass on from the earth. And, yeah, you're right, and and it, it does make it a lot more resonant when you do read the Silmarillion and get this backstory of, you know, elves don't really have a concept of death like they don't even you can see in the performance uh, that heller just doesn't know what's happening really mm-hmm. like he has no you can go with thousands of years without having someone you know die and then you're dying and like what is that you, like you can see that in his in his eyes wow yeah yeah i think it's crazy that these books are so well written but like you can have an adaptation of it so many years later and you're in my opinion you're you're improving the story writing like the nerd in me wants to say no the books are better because I, I i i listen to the audiobooks i listen to them quite frequently i listen to them at night i get little pieces of the story i don't sit there fully concentrated getting everything that's lord of the rings um word for word like someone i wish i could do that i just don't have the attention span so i've been listening to lord of the rings over and over for years, just like put on a chapter, go to bed or put on a chapter. And then after like, you know, 45 minutes or half an hour, I I fall asleep. Um, But uh, I think that there are a lot of added things, but I think Peter Jackson definitely added enough to better story writing, like better the story writing. But I also understand where people say he didn't really capture Tolkien's essence because there's a lot of Hollywood going on in the movie as well. It's, It's two different mediums. And, yeah. and the token estate really doesn't like these movies. I think we talked about that a bit in our, our yeah. fellowship episode. But I, like in the books, there's, there's other great stuff. There's, there's a lot more of Aemir. And there's, like he has this like great, you know, 
friendship of equals with Aragorn. And he has this like back and forth with Gimli mm-hmm. where they, they end up arguing where Gimli meets him and is like, I swear to God, if you ever see Galadriel and say, she, and don't say she's the most beautiful woman I've, you've ever seen, we're going to have words. I'm going to fucking kill you. And mm-hmm. <laughs> not, not so much in those words, but then in Return of the King, Galadriel comes to the, the wedding of Aragorn and, um, and Arwen. And Amor's like, you're gonna have to kill me now because Arwen's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Yeah. And he's like, and Gimli's like, I'll, I'll let this one pass. I'll let this pass. Uh, <laughs> so like, as long you, as it's an elf. He says, you've, you know, I've chosen the morning and you've chosen the evening. And it's, it's like, it's a really beautiful moment. So like that, those little character moments a lot of times are, are left out, but the, like it doesn't, the elves coming and the visual makes it so much more cinematic. Definitely. So my number two is actually, it's a little bit different. It is the scene where Smeagol and Gollum have an argument. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. It is. And it's a great scene in its own right, but it's also, you have to put yourself in the, in the mindset of 2002, where CGI characters up to that point were like Jar Jar Binks. They were like comedy characters. There was no dramatic performance by a computer-generated character until Gollum. It's crazy. And the fact that they were like, here's this two separate characters embodied in this one ca- character. Like, I, we'll get to the Oscars, but I, I think there's, there's a conversation to be had there. I, it, it's, such, it's incredible, and Andy Serkis has really built his career off of that scene. Oh, yeah, in a lot of definitely. Ways. Absolutely. It, deservedly so. So let's get to number one. Joe, what do you have for, uh, for number one? Number one uh, would be the March of the Ents. I think that all the visuals, the whole theme of nature destroying machine is so, um, is so, was so perfectly captured. I they definitely use miniatures in some of those scenes to get the water to pour in. They definitely use, if some of that is, I don't know how much of it is CGI, but um, obviously the Ents are all CGI, but just the fact that like, Mary and Pippin bring um, Treebeard out to see the part of the forest where all of his friends, he says, I knew this forest, I knew these trees, you know, he says something about like uh, nut and acorn, like I knew every piece of them, they were my friends, and he's just so upset, and then they they run down and, and destroy uh, Isengard, and just everything about that scene is so powerful, it's, I may, I, might, I may like that battle more than Helm's Deep, um, just because of the whole message of nature destroying machine. Mm. Um, the funniest right. moment of the whole movie also happens, um, the March of the Ents or, you know, the battle of um, the Isengard battle. Yeah. There's one scene where an ant throws an orc like into a waterfall and he's out of like the corner of the screen. <laughs> just one little guy. <laughs> Not meant to be funny, but it's when you go back and watch it, it is the funniest moment of the entire movie. I think it is. I think it is because Peter Jackson, yeah, Yeah. Peter Jackson is like he is a he's at his heart a comedic director, despite this trilogy. Yeah, and 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 um, and out of uh, yeah, so that's my favorite moment of the movie. Um, for right now, it will change. Like, uh, Gollum's back and forth is up there. Um. When, when Sam catches the, the spice, the little box of spice, that's one of my favorites. Yeah. There's so many moments. Roast chicken. The little, the, little, <laughs> the seasoning, the little moments are usually my favorite, but right now it's probably that battle. And uh, yeah, I just love it. 
I love uh, all, the, the I, character back and forth are the best parts of the movie. Definitely. I hope Gandalf finds out at some point that Pippin's the reason why Isengard is destroyed because Pippin literally convinces Treebeard to go through Isengard. And Treebeard's like, I don't understand. But then again, you are very small. Perhaps you're right. And then they go and Pippin sort of redeems himself from the first movie, I guess. Derek, what's your one? My number one is one you've already talked about is Gandalf falling with the Balrog. Oh my God. Uh, when I saw that scene and it was just like, I didn't expect it. I didn't know how they were going to bring Gandalf back. And, and I wasn't sure, but it wasn't, they didn't even bring him back yet, but we see him right away. And we just see this memory and that he's falling and he's battling the Balrog. And then the one shot that, that is the, the most Tolkien shot of the entire film is that one shot of Gandalf and the Balrog falling from a distance. And that you just see fire. Like you just said, in that big, huge, huge, like, cave or whatever, they're falling from a distance. And I was like, if anything in this movie is just, I feel it could have been on a page in, in the book as, like, an illustration. It could have been that. And it's just so tremendous. I just was like, I can't, I'm so glad they showed this battle. And it was so cool to see the very beginning where Frodo's being held back by Baromir and he's yelling. And then you see Gandalf falling from his point of view. I was like, oh, man, this, is, this, uh, this movie is starting off better than I thought. And so that, that for me, is my number one. Yeah, and they're uh, both um, the Maya spirits, so they they both die on the top of the mountain because they're perfectly matched. In right. Power. Yeah, and and it's kind of confusing how it, but Gandalf like goes to like the heavens and and is sent back and more powerful. Eru well, uh, Iluvatar brings him back to finish his mission, so he literally gets respawned, like a video game. <laughs> he respawns, yeah. Uh, he respawns him because he can because it's Aru, uh, Middle Earth itself is was it Iluvatar's uh, song. Everything comes from the song and Sauron and Morgoth. Morgoth was the discord, basically playing the wrong notes and trying to create his own song and the inner workings and all of the, the mythology. Like when, when, um, when Gandalf's reading through old literature and all of the, like the, you know, we, it was said that this would happen or on this day, this, this is the prophecy. All that prophecy is, is similar to how uh, people wrote the Bible for Middle Earth. It's, it's these stories come directly from, visions and dreams from you know inhabitants of middle earth and it all comes from Iluvatar's song yeah it's and each of the wizards are like almost like attendants to one of the valar so gandalf is manwe who is like the king of the winds he's like the head valar he's like right below Iluvatar. and sauron is like the attendant to I'm going to say Aule, A-U-L-E, who is credited with like creating the dwarfs and he is associated with technology and Smith like craft. So when you see Sauron building things and leaning into technology, that's the, the influence of his like elder God, basically. Yeah. And I know Morgoth is basically Satan. Like Tolkien said, yes. that that's basically Satan of yeah. Middle Earth. In the same in the same way that Sauron is Morgoth's lieutenant. Yep, lieutenant. Yeah, and basically. And it. So I know that in size, Morgoth was bigger. He's like basically the size of a mountain. But I know that in power, Sauron at his most powerful is pretty up there, pretty high up there, with Morgoth. I I I, I want to say Morgoth was more powerful, but I believe the Tolkien wrote Sauron to become stronger, so he wouldn't just be this second-rate villain. Morgoth right. loses his strength. And that's, that's a great thing about the nature of evil in the Tolkien universe is the more you spend on evil, 
the less powerful you are. So in the beginning with the song, Morgoth is powerful enough to disrupt the word of God. And then by the end, like a man will kill him. Yeah. Uh, like he's, it's, it's prophesized that Hurin will kill him to get and, revenge uh, for his family. And what's cool is a big difference because it kind of just looks like, oh, there's one guy, he's gone, and then the other guy looks just like him or, you know, it's going to look similar. Um, I know that Morgoth wanted to destroy, like first he wanted to create the world in his own vision and then his attitude changed to he just wants to destroy everything, where Sauron's trying to unite everything under his vision and yeah. not destroy everything. So I know that he was going to destroy all men or destroy the power of men and then because he has men fighting with him as well. But he was trying to do like what Genghis Khan was trying to do or, you know, um, certain, certain uh, emperors of Japan, like trying to unite everything, but united in his gross vision of yeah. reality. I think Sauron just wanted to like have Middle Earth as his dominion. Yeah. Whereas cool. Morgoth is by his very nature, like a discordant force of nature that yeah. like literally like the, the, creation of the world is Iluvatar's song and it's two it's the the song of the elves and the song of men intertwining and it's beautiful yep. and then there's this weird discordant noise yep. and that is Morgoth that is evil and just he's he doesn't want anything he just wants to he just is destruction yeah because I remember the last like podcast I listened to about it it was like the big difference is one wants to destroy one wants to reimagine and, yeah. and unite, but it's still awful. But uh, yeah, definitely, that's what's so cool. The more you look back at everything in Middle Earth and then you watch the movies, the movies are always changing the more you listen or read about everything before it. Like the Battle of Helm's Deep to me was just, oh, it's a Battle of Helm's Deep. There's an old horn, cool. You know, that was the first time I watched yeah. it. Great battle, looks great, there's a horn. Then you read about the history of the horn and like the, there was battles there before and what happened. and. Um, yeah, there's so many layers. It's the same, similar happens in Star Wars. I just feel like with Lord of the Rings is such a foundation for the stories and for the mythology itself. That definitely, yeah. yeah. That's why that's why world building. And I know, you know, more recently, you know, Game of Thrones. Like I watched the first season of that show, and then between seasons one and two, I read all the books or all the books that had been released at that point, and then I watched season one again before season two came out, and I was like this is this means so much more and just when you yeah. take the care in that world build that, that world building yeah and and make things make sense it's such a beautiful thing and i think tolkien is the master of that i don't i don't i don't think anyone's topped him because bringing he, he invented gandalf. so bringing back gandalf um i know that um the creator of game of thrones believes that um, Tolkien should have killed off Gandalf to give his character more power. Yep. Bring him, bring him back was an error in like his his story writing and Tolkien's story writing. What are your thoughts on that? I I disagree, but I understand where George R. R. Martin is coming from because of the type of storyteller he is. He kills everybody. He well, he's death is huge, and there's a character not to spoil if you haven't seen it. When a character comes back to life, it has consequences. It, it will have consequences. Yep. Um, whereas I think, I think Martin's bigger problem is not that he brought Gandalf back to life necessarily. It's that 
Gandalf got back, back, brought back to life, and there were really no consequences other than he came back with a new coat. You know, and that's that's I think more of what he was getting at. Is it a mistake? I don't know because they're coming at storytelling from two very different positions. Yeah, yeah. I I will say as a as a listener as a reader, I prefer Tolkien over George R. R. Martin because there's just a gross aspect and like very goriness of game of thrones that you can't listen to it while going to bed like you can't you know what i mean that's what sure. i like to read or like to listen to audiobooks is at night and I, I remember trying to do that with game of thrones and i'm just like nope yeah. so oh, the, the, the key it. the key difference between the two men i think is that tolkien fought in world war one and he had i think he wants to hold on to the idea that Yes, he had done violence in the war, but it was for a very noble reason, mm-hmm. right? I think he needs to, and you know, it's psychology 101 bullshit. I think he needs to believe that. So that's why the war in, you know, people die and it's, it's tragic, but war is heroic. You know, Aragorn is a war hero. George R. R. Martin is a conscientious objector to, I mean, not to get out of the, the war in Vietnam, but he was a conscientious objector, so could not be drafted. So I think in Martin's mind, violence in war is gross. You know, there's no, there's no heroes necessarily in war, even if you're on the quote unquote right side of things. It's just the, the nature of that, of war needs consequences. Yeah. I think another thing too is that like you know tolkien was very much good versus evil yes and and george r, r. martin was like mm, everyone's gray it's more uh, yeah it's so hard you know to love everyone 100 percent yeah it. it was like you're gonna love this character in this season but four seasons later you're gonna think they're one of the, be- the best characters in the show yeah. is so he just came i think he was i think he was better at writing characters personally yeah tolkien is myth making and J- martin is is writing a more modern even right. even in his time tolkien was like writing stories in the style of like ancient stories right almost. yeah it was like a- ancient greek mythological oh, type character. Of epicness yes epic history like the fact that um the trees before the sun existed in middle earth like the tree yeah. the trees of light that uh, morgoth and um ungoliant basically shelob's ancestor stole the light from the trees and then um Sam and you know Sam literally uses the light of Galadriel, which is the same essence, to fight off Shelob. At like towards the end of the book, like the the epicness of that is insane. Yeah, the reason why the Legend of Zelda games are getting better and better are probably from their research of things on that level, Mm -hmm. and you can see it in the in the Breath of the Wild game how much was influenced by Lord of the Rings, and. yeah, it's just like like the epicness of like full circle is insane. I think it's one of Tolkien's strongest aspects of a yeah. writer. It's also my fa- one of my favorite, probably my favorite of the many Zeppelin Tolkien references in going to California. <laughs> yes. The children of the sun begin to awake. Men yeah. are the children of the sun because they hadn't seen the light of the trees. But so yeah, so um, yeah, and, and, I, and I, I think going back to, to Tolkien versus Martin as well. I mean, Game of Thrones and modern fantasy literature does not exist without Lord of the Rings. 
No. Right. And, Absolutely. You know, so it, it, I think both ways of looking at it are valid and, you know, time will tell if Martin ever finishes his series, whether or not that type of story can stand the test of time. But, you know, Lord of the Rings is something that you can start reading when you're 10 years old and read for the rest of your life. Right. So, you know, does Game of Thrones, does Song of Fire get to that point? Only, only time will tell, and we'll be dead before anyone can make that determination. Rick, I have a funny feeling I know you're number one, but I want to hear it from you. <laughs> okay, so before I get to my number one, I'm going to go through my honorable mentions very quickly. Uh, the scene where the orcs threaten to eat Merry and Pippin <laughs> uh, because of the incredible – I think for, for that, just because in, in Fellowship, the orcs kind of – other than Lurts, tend to be kind of samey. And now it's like, oh, these orcs are, are – you know, there's different types of orcs. Uh, the scene where Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas encounter the White Wizard, and it goes from Christopher Lee's voice to Ian McKellen's voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the scene where Theoden is awoken from his spell, and oh, Gandalf. I, yeah, yeah, that almost made my top three. Yeah, where he's uh, you wouldn't take a walking stick from his old man, and then uh, Hama like holds the the Rohirrim back, and it's like, nope, nope, just let it, let it let it go. Theoden's laugh, yeah, is incredible. Yeah. Uh, and, and just Edoras in general, like the Golden Hall, it's so fully realized. I think that is probably my favorite. If I could walk into any any area in Middle-earth and just like kind of be there, it would either be the Shire or Edoras. Yeah. Um, uh, Saruman unveiling his full force to Wormtongue. And just you see this incredible host of orcs. And it's just... So, so basically the whole movie is what you're saying. It's, well, it's, let me finish. The Osgiliath <laughs> flashback, which you had mentioned. The Last March of the Ents, which is also mentioned. Uh, and, of course, the scene where Sam uh, motivates Frodo to continue his journey and even, can like, I, Prince Gollum. I mean, it's, it's Helm's Deep. Like, it's, oh, yeah. Okay. i surprised. I thought it was going to be the flashback, but okay. I thought it was going to be when uh, Aragorn breaks his toe on a helmet. That's <laughs> yeah, amazing. that was pretty great. Pretty amazing. But specifically specifically the build-up to Helm's Deep. And the, oh. don't get me wrong, the, the battle itself is incredible. And that's, I'm taking it into to account here. But that period where before the elves show up, especially the scene where Aragorn and Legolas are arguing in Elvish, and then Aragorn's like, I will die as one of them. It's, you feel, I know, I've read the books. I know they're going to get out of this. But I'm sitting in my seat in the theater. I'm like, how the hell are they going to get out of this? <laughs> like, the, because in the books, again, like, Aram is there, Aramir is there with them. The force of the Rohirrim is there with them. And in this, it's like, it's just a bunch of kids and elderly people. And it's just, he's, Aragorn has that scene where he's talking to that kid. And he's just like, you, and, and this is. Is it a girl? I couldn't. No, it's, no. it's, it's Hama's son. He says, I'm, I'm Haleth, son of Hama, my lord. And Hama, just, his father just died a few okay. scenes before that by the wards. Yeah. And just, uh, yeah, Theoden, who is, is just trying to stay strong as, yeah. as a king. And he just, he has that moment where he, he like chews out Aragorn. He's like, I'm the king. Like, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to make such an end. Like, if this is our end, I'm going to make such an end to be worthy of remembrance, which is almost the line that I used up top. Yeah, it, it, I mean, just the buildup really up right up to 
like the the rain coming down, the lightning crashing, and then like Jackson, perfect timing. The guy loses the arrow and it like cuts attention. Yeah. And you're like, and they find the weakness in the armor. Yeah, yep. yeah, it's it's perfect. I love it. It's it's Helm's Deep. So let's talk quickly, Joe. I think you mentioned yours. Our least favorite parts. So I don't uh, I don't want to get negative because I. I I, I don't I don't want to get negative about what is one of my is my favorite story of all time. Lord yeah. of the Rings is my favorite story of all time. Fellowship of the Ring is my favorite book of all time. I think it's the best part of the whole story. I, just the build up. I love the beginning of things. You have so much to look forward to at the beginning of a story. But no, I, I wanted to talk about fun. Yeah, I guess worst scenes are the funniest scenes. The line, their pace has quickened. They caught they've caught our scent is hilarious like yeah. when you watch that you can't i can't watch it with a straight face they're taking the hobbits to isengard is will never be the same because of that youtube video where they just keep repeating it over and over <laughs> uh, or the uh boil them mash them stick them in a stew yeah potatoes that potatoes. youtube video i love that scene i love that you that, that youtube video is ingrained in my head that's the one that i've seen more than the isengard one only they look like only small children to your eyes. That line is hilarious. <laughs> You're um, stupid. You wouldn't know what a hobbit is. It's it's. Well, they wouldn't. Well, you figured they know history a little bit. He's a man. Yeah, but hobbits are so like irrelevant. They don't even appear in the Silmarillion until the description of Lord of the Rings. Right. And and, and the war the War for the Ring. Like they don't they don't even like. It'd be the equivalent of like, oh. Yeah, like let me describe this like very peculiar looking like group of people from an like a remote island in the Pacific that you've never heard of. Right. Like this is what they'd look like. I would say arguable like what I wish I mentioned for one of my favorites is there is an angle of in the beginning of the movie where it's just raining on Sam and Frodo and it basically just conveys 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 this message of adventures really suck. Yeah. <laughs> To the people that are on the adventure. Right, right. That scene is amazing. Um, but yeah, least favorite scenes are the CGI. The wargs, the warg when they, when they catch the scout. Yeah. When it's the wargs and the horses, that looks so bad. Uh, it reminds me of the bad parts of Star Wars where they added in the CGI later on. Um, very, very uh, reminiscent yeah. of that. I think, I think the CGI in this one, a lot of the wargs are not good. But, like, the Legolas stuff, the Legolas effects go, like, right up to, like, any more. And I think in Return of the King, it does go a little beyond, like, any more, and it's ridiculous. I hope, and I know, I have a feeling it's out there. Just like there's a golden version of, like, Star Wars where there's a fan edit where they've taken the best of all the different versions and put them together in a Blu-ray, and it's completely illegal and not allowed by Disney or, or anyone or Lucas um, there probably is a golden fan edit of Lord of the Rings on the internet somewhere. If you can find it, find it, send me the link. But I think with all of this, all the extended scenes, that could absolutely be done incredibly well. You have plenty to work with. And we're in a time where people you know, may be able to fix CGI. I've seen CGI fixed on The Mandalorian. I've seen things yeah. fixed there and I've seen um, original Star Wars fixed where Han Solo's walking over the back of um, of, um, of Jabba the Hut. Jabba the Hut, yeah. and uh, that's fixed. So maybe there's a fan edit somewhere. Maybe there's a group or a message board somewhere where there is a perfect, close to as perfect as there can be, version of all three of these movies, and I would love to own that. 
I mean, I think I think before we get that, we'll probably get uh, probably get remakes at some point. I mean, it's been it's been twenty oh, years. It's so hard to remake these, man. Well, oh. let's. Well, we'll uh, we'll get to recasting in a little bit. So, Derek, what's your uh, least favorite part? I'll keep this short and sweet. My least favorite part is the song at the end. Uh, Gollum song. Uh, it took me right out of the movie completely. It sounds like uh, the beginning of the shy, the spy who shagged me, Austin Powers. You know, the he's evil, evil is his one and only name. This song took me out of the movie. It sounded like a, a weird, like spoof of a James Bond song, and it just took me out. I didn't think the song was good. I think may it be in the original uh, in Fellowship was excellent. I think the one in the third one was excellent. This one just what? Uh, that's my least favorite part of the movie. So I've got I've got a couple. I'll make it quick. I don't love that they sidelined AMR for a lot of the movie. I don't like that they continued their fucking Tom Bombadil erasure and gave some of his stuff to Treebeard. I and, disagree, but go ahead. And does literally everyone in the movie darker than beige have to be a villain? <laughs> and I know. When I did my recast, I, w- I noticed afterwards that I, I was going to change some characters to be African-American. And then, I, then it, I'll, I'll talk about that in a little bit. But yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, like it. I get you know, if you if you want to cast true to the books, I'm not gonna like the major characters. That's fine, but like no background actors, no like no like every single person who is like has a tan or more is is like a is Sauron's minion. I don't yeah. So I didn't love that part of it, but uh, I, I mean still geographically um where they're located on middle earth is that that was the intent i think um i get what they're going for translates well and i don't i don't agree with it either i I wish it was a more diverse film and a more diverse book but yeah definitely didn't age well right and i mean you can you can see like they they cast fucking stringer bell as a as a as a norse god and thor and nobody cared so like, you know, I, 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 yeah, like the argument of like, well, it's meant to be Europe. It doesn't hold water because there are fucking elves and dwarves walking around, you know, but. Amazon series is going to, I think, going to be a lot more diverse. I would hope so. Yeah, I'm excited so for that. I'm worried that it's not going to have as much content in his character development. And, you know, they have so much, they have so much to work with. Yeah. With Lord of the Rings as Tolkien's main piece. Right. There is, with the amount of money going into that series, it has no excuse not to be incredible. But that's what happens, though. Like, yeah. that does happen. Um, I'm looking at the cast are... right now for that, and it's re- way more diverse. Good. Yeah, all the pictures, way more. Yeah, they, they definitely uh, noted, noted that. <laughs> Good. And, yeah, and, uh, yeah. But, well, moving on, because I, I, I hate, because, like, I feel like we get into so much of this, because so many of the movies from, you know, decades ago, <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, got Temple of Doom. We got into that discussion, and it's just like, how, how, I mean, like we we know, we know, Rick. I get it. He, yeah. So let's let's go to medals. Joe, who do you have for your bronze medal? Bronze medal, as far as characters go. Yeah. Um, so again, didn't do my homework. Um, it could be characters. It could be crew. It could be actors. It could be what we had somebody give one to an inanimate object. Last yeah, <laughs> you could jump to me if you want. If you want to take a minute. <laughs> Um, bronze medal goes to the horn. Goes to that. It is so <laughs> horn of Helm Hammerhand. I love artifacts and movies. I grew up playing Heroes of Might and Magic two and three on PC, and artifacts are just so cool. There's something that just captures your heart. Same way the first time you hear about what, what and 
who Spider-Man is. Like, it's just on this level of, oh my God, like I'm a little kid again. And having an artifact like that in this movie was so important. And that's my bronze off the top of my head. All right, excellent. Derek, who do you have for bronze? I got a tie. I got Viggo Mortensen and Sean Astin. Um, the both of them are incredible in this movie. They both really take charge. You realize how important both of these characters really are to the story. Um, and they just both do a great job. They, I think at this point, they've really, I mean, in the first film, they're incredible. But I feel like in this one, they really understand their place. And, uh, you know, without Sam, Frodo doesn't get anywhere. And, uh, and Aragorn really, uh, <laughs> he really saves the day in this one, in my opinion. Uh, so that's a tie. All right. My bronze is Howard Shore. And he did the did the score, and this trilogy is rightly regarded as being one of the best scores in in film history. Mm-hmm. And just specifically the the Rohan theme. Yeah. Oh, I was going to mention that. Love it. So beautiful, and it it just puts me in this that world, and it's it's uh, it's it's just incredible. I love that. Oh my god, it's so good. Yeah, Joe, who do you have for uh, for silver? So I'm going to say Silver is the crew that the, the actual costume design and the yeah. set design, everyone that has to do. And, and honestly, this could be my gold as well. I'm just giving three awesome aspects of the movie. Since yeah. I didn't have time to write everything down. But how old everything feels and looks in this movie are, is, what, is why it's regarded as some of the greatest movies of all time. The, you're looking at a painting, the type, the colors you pick, like the type of paint you're using, the type of medium itself. This movie and like just, just the miniatures, the color schemes, everything going into design on this movie is a 10 out of 10. And for its time is a 10 out of 10. If, you, if, the, if I hope they got as many people that worked on this movie and these three movies working on the Amazon series for design. If they get the same team and they've gotten better over time since, you know, these movies came out so long ago, you're unstoppable. So I'm hoping that's what they do. But yeah, the, 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 mainly the costume design and, the, and the, whoever designed the weapons, um, geez, just like, yeah. I wanted them, I wanted this team for every movie I love, all Star Wars, all of, even the movies that have crushed items and, and, and crushed the ability to create costumes that were believable. I, this is still one of the best teams of all time. So to shout out specifically costume design, uh, the duo of, I'm going to say, Najila, N-G-I-L-A, Najila Dixon and Richard Taylor. Richard costume- Taylor. I remember, I remember hearing his name. Yeah, yeah Richard Taylor. Are the, uh, the costume designers for, uh, for the trilogy. And that is a worthy pick because those aspects of the movie can be overlooked, but they are hugely important to the story. Derek, your silver. My, my silver is Andy Serkis. Um, he's incredible. I mean, he, he really just does amazing work here. Um, he's still one of those voices that I can't imitate. It's just difficult. I mean, everyone on the planet can do a Yoda. How many people can do Gollum? It's not, uh, it's a little different. And um, it's, uh, he just, even, you know, knowing that he does all the, th- he's, he's the guy doing everything that Gollum is doing. He's the one squatting down and, and catching the fish. And um, he's incredible. That's all I have to say about it. He's my silver. Yeah. My silver is Peter Jackson. And he, I mean, we talked about it in the first episode. It's his baby. The, the amount of work he put into this, he propped up an entire film industry 
in in a country like he's i mean he he knows what to do he knows when to throw in a funny moment or or a visual joke he builds the tension before uh before helms deep you know he brings all these aspects together to create such an incredible movie joe who's gold Peter jackson's my gold absolutely yep. um i think that the stars aligned with him doing these movies i haven't seen a lot of stuff that he's done that hasn't had to do with middle earth um i haven't watched i, I haven't watched a lot of his stuff before or after this you will be shocked at his stuff before this it's uh, so different yeah yeah i i think he deserves a gold because even if the tolkien estate doesn't love the movies i'm sure some of them do and they're secret about it but he was brave enough to take one of the if not like the highest the the highest selling most popular book of all time highest selling book and like one of the highest selling books in history human history um and make it his own but still stay true enough because it is it is an adaptation it is not you you know there's so much that's similar from the movies to the books that it changes the books for me where I remember the books differently. And I listen to the books, the audio books that I own and the scenes will never be the same because of Peter Jackson. But I think that he did enough where he's in an ape. If he's getting graded on and how long these movies are, how much, how much he had to dedicate is insane. I think this is the gauntlet of all directors um, that he had to run. I think he did the best job he could have done and he was brave enough to put his own vision in it and not just copy the book chapter by chapter and just give us something bland and long. You know what I mean? Cause that's what this yeah. would have been. It wouldn't have made the money that it did. It still, this needed to make money. This wasn't, these movies weren't just about making an awesome book into an awesome movie. This was a, this was to make a profit, to turn a profit. Yeah. And he did that and he gave us great movies and he introduced people into Lord of the Rings the same way Green Day's Dookie introduced people into punk rock. Like that album brought more people into punk rock than any album. This movie, these movies brought more people into reading fantasy than probably anything. Yeah. So yeah, he gets my gold. He did a great job. Do I wish they were closer to the books? Of course I do. Why? Because that's just how my brain works. You know what I mean? I wish if they do a remake, I, want it, I don't want them in movies. I want them as a series and I want it to go front to back so I can see everything that is lord of the rings and truly download it into my brain because yeah. it's so hard for me to do that when it's just someone reading it to me or just me reading it off page just for my attention to, my attention to detail and i'm taking in books is, is is tough it's always been and um and i want that more than anything but yeah he's in the, he's in an a i wouldn't say an a plus to say he translated the books perfectly because clearly there's no tom bombadil who's one of the most interesting characters tolkien's ever written no more bombadil erasure yeah, but he's in the A. He's not in the B category. He's in the A category. Yeah, not an A minus. I'd give him a solid A. Yeah, Derek, who's your gold? Honorable mention. Uh, way to workshop because the amount of armor they made for this movie and yeah. props is just is absolutely stupid with a capital they made S. They made yeah, they made they did everything. Watching the special edition is just like the amount of work they did. But my gold is actually a three way tie. You got Peter Jackson. J.R. Tolkien and Howard Shore. All three of those elements are like the three elements you need for a perfect movie. I would say you don't have this without Tolkien's vision. You don't love this 
unless Peter Jackson makes it, in my opinion, I think he really puts it over the top and you don't get the cherry on top of some fantastic music that you need to make this story flow correctly. So the three of them are like the, the special three elements, the trinity of, uh, of the two towers, in my opinion. And uh, I think they all deserve the, uh, the first spot. If I could take back my answer, that is the best answer. All three of them, Todd. That's the one I agree with the most, what Derek just said. Yeah, I just take mine back and I just second that. All right. So I'll go through my honorable mentions quickly. Uh, Brad Dourif, who we mentioned earlier, plays Grima Wormtongue. Incredible performance. Sure. Viggo Mortensen. I mean, Aragorn. I mean, either are, are, it's the debate. And Joe, maybe you can weigh in on this. Oh, I will. Who is more handsome, Viggo Mortensen's Aragorn or Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones? Well, Viggo Mortensen as Aragorn is supposed to basically be Jesus. <laughs> is it Jesus or Indiana Jones? Yeah. So it's Jesus versus Indiana Jones. Yeah. You gotta go. You gotta go with Jones every day. I mean, Jones. Jo okay, so Aragorn is more noble. Different he's types. A, yep. a leader. Yeah. yeah. Um, Indiana Jones is just an. He's just an asshole. And the best <laughs> possible. So I gotta go with that. I gotta go with with Jones. Another vote for Indy. Yes. All right. You got uh, that appeal of I'm an asshole and you still love me. Yeah. Like, yeah. You asshole. can't beat it. Other honorable mention: Sean Astin. Uh, as Sam, obviously incredible performance. Bernard Hill, who've not talked about a lot, as Theoden. Mm. Incredible performance. Very good performance. Ian McKellen, of course, as Gandalf, who I believe took my Golden Fellowship. John Reese davies as uh, as Gimli. Miranda Otto as Eowyn. David Wenham as Faramir. And, of course, Christopher Lee as Saruman. All <laughs> worthy honorable mentions. Basically, the whole cast. Yeah, the whole cast. Here's, <laughs> here's the question before crazy. I get to my... How are they ever going to recast... Well, well Derek, Derek apparently recast everything. I recasted so. the whole film, oh. so. No, just so. cut this off. Can you just cut, edit that out? Can edit Derek's part right out. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we might have to for time purposes. So here's, here's, a, here's another question. Okay, and this is something I texted Derek yesterday, and I, wanna, I want everyone to weigh in on the podcast. Did Aragorn pick the right girl? No. Aragorn and Eowyn, that would have been the power couple. Yes, he did. He picked the right girl because they're basically Baron and Luthien. They're the greatest love story of Tolkien it's Tolkien it's Tolkien writing himself into his story his love his him and his wife and there's a lot of little nuances about um Arwen and and Aragon of Tolkien and his wife so yeah I do believe he picked the right girl I, well I think I think book Aragorn picked the right girl movie Aragorn picked the wrong girl because <laughs> because if you think about it Royal marriages need to be, they need to look at them from a very realistic point of view. And maybe this is the, the, the George R. R. Martin of me saying, he marries Arwen. Arwen's entire species has left the continent. The kingdom of Gondor gets nothing from that. He marries Eowyn, and it just so happened to work out that she, she married Faramir. But he has now the armies of Rohan as allies in a marriage pact. But where's the love? <laughs> He's a king. He has responsibilities. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> no, it's about the love. About and granted, love. he's been in love with Arwen for like 70 years. I get it. Giving but... up eternal life to be with him. It's his Romeo and like Juliet of his story. It Did... is the most romantic. That's why I get so upset. Like um, if, if people watch this and they're kind of like Lord of the Rings is too nerdy, but then they watch like the most romantic or rom-coms. It's like, you don't, you don't know what's in this. Like that, they're one of the most epic versions of, of of romance is, is in well, this you know what it, it didn't it didn't end well for romeo, romeo and juliet but 
my gold medal level my gold medal finally getting to it is andy circus and that's because he gives an incredible performance he should have been nominated for an oscar in my opinion he basically created a new type of character in movies like the he, he perfected the cgi character it's incredible but let's uh you know let's get moving here let's go to recasting so just to cover what we did last time when we said last time all three of us said michael fassbender as aragorn i said rachel weiss as arwen derek said mads mickelson as boromir and joe you said james mcavoy as frodo yeah so derek will save you for last because uh because or, uh joe you said you didn't have any but i don't have i'm not yeah. good at this part of it this that's is much that's fine derek i'll yeah. go first derek because you have more characters yep. i recast theoden aon amer and faramir so all characters introduced in this movie faramir uh i cast cameron monaghan who you may know from the show shameless where he plays i believe ian his character name is redhead kid he's in gotham he basically played the joker uh, he was the main character in the most recent Star Wars video game. Yes. Yes, yeah. I know he is. Yep. Great actor. Amir. Richard Madden, a.k.a. Rob Stark. Okay. No, 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 not bad. Not bad. Eowyn. Elizabeth Olsen. Scarlet Witch herself. I actually, actually was one of the people I, I thought yep. about. Theoden. Brian Cranston. Oh, man. You came close to mine. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. So Derek, let's let's go. Derek, you have recast uh, every single role in the history of movies. So go. All right, uh, Denethor, who was in a deleted scene. I went with yeah. Chris Cooper. Yep. Galadriel. I went with Anne Hathaway. Yeah. Uh, tough one, but uh, <laughs> Elrond. Chris Cooper is great. That is a great one. It's it's a great show. Yeah. Thank you, oh. thank you. I, there's a couple of gems in here. Some of them I'm still not sure of because I had to rush this one. Elrond, I'm not too sure of because Hugo Weaving is a monster of an actor. But I went with Stanley Tucci. For Elrond. I don't know. I, I kind of want to see it. Maybe. I could see it. Uh, Arwen. I went with an actress named Jessica DeGao. She was in the TV show of Dracula. And I think she kind of looks like Liv Tyler in a way. So I went with that. Grima Wormtongue. I think this is a good one. Michael Sheen. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a really good one. Haldir, who is the elf who dies at Helm's Deep, who is like the head of them. Matthew Gray Goobler. Um, he is in, he's the friend in 500 Days of Summer, Rick. The good looking friend. Okay. Yeah. I went with him in this one. Oh, he, uh, uh, he's in CSI. Yes, yes. The nerdy guy in CSI. So yes. who would he be in Lord of the Rings? Haldir. He's like the head, the head elf who ends up getting killed in the battle. The one who gets, he's like the, the, the one he's who leads got the, He's got the elvish look. He's got an elvish look. Yeah. I almost actually almost cast him as Legolas, but I went somewhere else. Yeah. Okay, so my Gimli and Treebeard, since it's a, John Reese davies does both, I'm doing Jason Momoa for Gimli and Treebeard. Jason uh, Momoa, Jason as, Momoa a dwarf. as a dwarf, I think would be fantastic. I think he's got the charm yeah. for it, and he's got a good voice, and I feel like he would look really great as a, as a, as a dwarf. Um, John Reese davies was 6'3". Jason Momoa is a huge guy. It, it's funny. Okay, my Saruman. There is no other Saruman besides Christopher Lee, but if you had to, Charles Dance is the answer. Um, yeah. Charles Dance from, Ga from, from Game of Thrones, he plays Tywin Lannister. He's got that uh, voice. He's got that voice. Yes, you will. Faramir, I went with an actor named Billy Magnuson. Um, he's in a bunch of things. He was one of the uh, princes in Into the Woods, the movie. He's got a good-looking face. I feel like he, he's definitely he could be rugged. He's actually playing Paulie Walnuts from The Sopranos in the, in the new Sopranos prequel movie. He's playing Paulie. I don't even know how that's possible. Uh, he looks nothing like Paulie, but they're making it work, and I think this actor is extremely versatile, so he's my Faramir. My Eowyn goes to Natalie Dormer, who is Marjorie Terrell in Game of Thrones and a bunch of other things. My Eomer goes oh, yeah. to... 
Chris, Chris Hemsworth. Maybe not the biggest role in the world, but I think he just reminds me of Carl Urban in that sense. Book Amer, I could definitely see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got that rugged sort of thing going. If, if, if you're sticking, if you're sticking with with Fassbender as Aragorn, those right, I, I am, yeah. I am sticking yeah. with him. So, okay, so I'm almost done. I'm halfway there. So my King Theoden. Okay, guys, just picture it. I know it's going to be really awkward and going to be weird. If you look at pictures of him nowadays, he is 60, 60 years old or sixty three years old. I can't remember specifically. Piers Brosnan looks like somebody who is is definitely aging. I've seen him with long hair and a beard before. Yeah. I feel like he could play King Theoden and really bring some color to the character. Although Bernard Hill is fantastic. My Gandalf, I love this one. I don't know why I love it so much. Gary Oldman. I, I, I thought about Patrick Stewart, but I thought he's a little bit too goofy for me. Gary Oldman can literally play anybody because he's done it. Uh, there's a joke on Facebook about how, yeah, I think the meme was like, one day you realize that you're not even you. Gary Oldman's been playing you the whole time. That's how good he is. Uh, uh, so my golem went to Ewan Rion, who plays Ramsey Bolton in Game of Thrones. That's uh, almost like two on the nose. It's almost two on the nose. I think he's got that. He, I mean, he looks like him. I think he's, he, I've seen him in other things. He's very versatile. Uh, my Lego last goes to Finn Jones, who plays. Yeah. I, I I picked Finn Jones. Bloom is my least favorite part of. Yeah, I, I picked Finn Jones, who plays um, Loras Torrell in Game of Thrones. I think he looks like an elf. Um, I think he brings some color to the character as well. We all know Michael Fassbender's my Aragorn. Here are the top. Here are the hobbits. Okay. My Pippin is Will Poulter. Yeah, Will, Will Poulter has been in a bunch of things. He's in Midsummer. He's in. He was uh, he was supposed to be in the TV series, but he he dropped out. Yep, he was. Uh, he was. Yeah, he was. He was, he was the original Pennywise the Clown before he left, and then it went to the other guy in the new It movies. Will Poulter would have been way better, in my opinion. My Mary, a lot of Game of Thrones actors. I apologize. My Mary goes Shocking. to Alf, Alfie Allen, <laughs> who played Theon Greyjoy. Uh, I think he would be really fun in this role. Uh, my top two. So I will say my Frodo first. My Frodo Baggins is going to Tom Holland who plays the new Spider-Man. I think he has the face for a hobbit. My Every single time you make a remark about how much I love Timothy Chalamet is I'm bouncing it right back to you with Tom Holland. Right, right. Timothy Chalamet almost made my list, but I honestly have never seen one Tom thing Holland that he's been be in. Great. He would be great. Um, I've never seen one thing that he's been in, but he has the face for it. I almost went with James McAvoy, but he's way too old for the role. And lastly, so good, my, Sam, my Sam Gamgee. Oh, this was hard. Rupert Grint. Uh, from Harry Potter, I think would make a really tremendous Sam, Samwise Gamgee. Uh, he plays the sidekick sort of in Harry Potter, but I just picture him in this role. I don't think necessarily Sam has to be like, you know, fat or anything like that. Sean Astin certainly couldn't couldn't lose the weight after he gained it for these movies, but that's my cast. I can't and, um, believe your fat guy ratio with that. I did well the best done. I could. It wasn't as good as my Godfather, but it was it was almost there. I can't believe you recasted The Godfather. Like, you don't even understand the pain I went through doing that. Go, go <laughs> back and listen, everyone, to our Godfather episode if you haven't already, and our Godfather 2 episode to get the full experience as to, uh, to Derek's recasting. Derek, yes. you need to make graphic designs of these side-by-sides and put them online. I could do that. I have that app, app Pix, so Pixstitch or whatever. I was trying to Google as fast as I could. Sorry, I, just, I, know, I know we're on a time exactly crunch. I wanted to go as fast as I could. Yeah, yeah, but I'm like, I got some of them. I got most of them, but some of them are dead on. Um, <laughs> we'll get it. We'll, uh, we'll, we, uh, let's take this to social media. Let's, uh, yeah, let's I'll, take I'll, I'll, Facebook. I'll, we'll I'll Facebook this it. list. Yeah, I'll definitely right. will. Look me the list to look the picture side by side one day. That would be amazing. Definitely. All right. Twitter follow of the week. Elijah Wood. Frodo Baggins himself. Follow let's Elijah Wood. Yes. Joe's going to do it. All right. So what does this movie do best? So what does this movie do better than any other movie, Joe? Battle. The battles. Yeah. Um, but, but I do love Lord of the Rings 4. 
the character interactions, the small moments, a lot of them have to do with, with um, Sam and Frodo. Um, but this movie out of the three, the battles, 100%. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's tough. Like, I wish I watched all three in a row and then came on, but I had to watch this in pieces. And it's probably been about a year. I watched these movies once a year. Um, just like I do for The Shining, I watch that once a year. And uh, yeah, I would say the battles. When I get excited for this movie, it's for the Battle of Helm Deep. It's for um, the March of the Ents. It's, it's for that. Also, I really love how Sam and Frodo come across Gollum on the mountains. In the book, they set a trap. In this movie, they don't make it obvious that it's a trap, even though they both wake up at the same time as Gollum's climbing down. The, the cliff face they both wake up at once so i believe they set a trap for Gollum, just like in the book but peter jackson doesn't make it obvious enough so you're kind of on the fence at least i am as a viewer but i love the symmetry between like how bilbo finds Gollum in the caves under a mountain that they fall in and then frodo meets Gollum on top of a mountain and i know in the book frodo is more noble and more kind of like Aragon in that moment. And Sam's more of the insecure, like over talkative, like chatty personality in the book. And in, in the movie, Peter Jackson kind of switched it a little bit. But I just love, I love that. I don't know, kind of went on a tangent, but that's just how I feel. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about with this. I mean, yeah. I, I agree with you. I, I, have, I have the battle as well. I mean, I, I rank Helm's Deep over Pelinor Fields. Yeah, uh, I think it's the best battle in the history of sure, movies. Sure, sure. At least for me, when I saw it for the first time, it was the same effect of playing Mario 64 for the first time and looking at my friend Paul and being like, this is the greatest graphics yeah. will ever be. This is it. <laughs> right. How can you he top wrong. this? Yeah. He's so wrong. But I had that moment with this battle, even watching it on DVD. I didn't get to see it in the theaters. And I remember being like, this is the greatest battle in film history yeah. that I can think of. This is my favorite. One oh, of yeah. My favorites. They, oh, yeah. They like developed new software to like, have the battle make sense it's incredible the end of game of thrones you know they studied that battle oh sure over and over before they put all that to tape definitely sure derek what, what does this movie do better than anything else uh two things number one yes i agree with you both i think helm's deep if i had to just really think about it, it's the number one battle of any movie i've ever seen uh that's a kind of a no-brainer at this point but my other one is i thought it was this is the best added sequence not in an original book, but for a movie. And that was when the elves show up to Helm's Deep because that did not happen in the book. And when it happened in the movie, I was so happy to see that because I thought it made a lot of sense. And I'm, I think Peter Jackson made the right decision to do that, to show that men and elves are still going to fight together. And it, 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 it really did hold an, an emotional uh, punch, you know, when the elves had it to die. And elves don't die like that. They're these majestic people, you know. And it was sad to see them die, but it, it felt good to see that there was no hope, there's no hope. And then these, these elves come and they say, we're going to help you and everything. It's great. It was a great, great moment. Can yeah. I quickly change my answer? I'm sorry. Yeah, go for it. What this movie does best is it makes you think someone has died and it lets you sit there with it. So when you watch it for the first time, you really believe these characters have passed away. Aragorn going off a cliff, um, Gandalf dying, um, just in general, fighting the Balrog. Uh, but he did. Yeah. Uh, but this movie makes you really believe a main character has passed away and it lets you sit there and stew. Yeah, if you don't know the books, you'd never know. Yeah. It's amazing. Never know, and it's 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 mean. 
So let's uh, let's quickly get to the uh, to the Oscars, and this is kind of an infamous year. We'll get to it in a second. So, Two Towers is does have two wins. It wins for sound editing and visual effects. It's nominated for best picture, uh, best sound, best art direction, and best editing. So no other than best picture, no real major category nominations. Which let's talk about it. So best picture uh, is won by Chicago. Other nominees are Gangs of New York, The Hours, and The Pianist. So pretty strong year. It's a pretty strong year. I would put Two Towers as the winner. I would listen to a Gangs of New York case. I agree with you. Uh, I, I'm fighting between Two Towers and Gangs of New York. I, I don't know which one I'm going to right now, but uh, I'm on the same page as you. I've literally, uh, one of my friends... One of my friends in New York City, his dad is a stunt guy. Uh, his name is Buzz. And he had Gangs of New York memorabilia on his wall in the oh, basement. Wow. When I band toured, we crashed at my friend's house and my friend's dad's apartment. And we saw all this stuff. And I literally have a picture somewhere. I'm wearing one of the hats from oh, Gangs wow. of New York. And I still think this movie is way better. <laughs> I, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I get it. I get it. I just think Daniel Day Lewis's performance is, is oh, they're, no, they're performance far, far and great. beyond anything I've ever seen. So, this but anyways, just, but these movies are on the Star Wars level. Like these movies are on that. Why movie theaters exist? Why it's so good drinking a Coca Cola or a Sprite in a large shitty popcorn from the movies? This <laughs> movie is why the whole experience is worth it. And I don't think it really comes from the movies that are so serious, like the really perfected serious films, I think it comes from the goofy yet incredible and iconic. And I remember where I was when I saw it, movies like Star Wars, Marvel movies, and this. I think this is what movies are all about. And I think there are better movies, but I think this captures the whole spirit of the essence yeah. of just drinking a soda, eating candy, and eating shitty popcorn. That's I am. Apples. I have got my second shot, and I am waiting that two weeks before I'm fully, uh, fully vaxxed, and I am I'm going to the movies. Going tomorrow. Beautiful! I can't June, wait to get back in the theater. Tomorrow. June, this, June fifth for me. My second one. I'm watching Quiet Place One on a projector. And nice. There you go. Uh, with my wife and cats, and then tomorrow we're going to the movies for the first time. Oh, beautiful! I have one week to the day until I'm fully. I can go to the movies. Last I agree. I agree with you guys. I think two towers. You know, I'll say two towers. Yeah, wins this year. Last movie right. you watched before COVID? What was the in last the theater? Yeah. I went to see Back to the Future. Uh, <laughs> the last new movie I saw was fucking Rise of Skywalker, which is not good. Same yeah. as the last one I saw. Yeah. I did make me cry, though. There was the end. Some of the end made me cry, but then it there, wasn't good in retrospect. But sitting through it, I had a real emotional reaction the, to the movie. The scene where... I mean, I think the scene with Han is the is the one that got me. Dude. But I cried yeah. so hard during that movie just because yeah. I had to sit through it. Fan added that, that those three movies, and you have a great <laughs> two movies. Oh, so you you guys in Star Wars, you guys we'll, in Star we'll Wars. We'll get to listen. We're gonna we're gonna have our our 
Star Wars sequel trilogy series, and that's going to be we're going to have thirty five guests on it. Oh, can't wait! Because everyone has a take. I can't wait! I can't wait to punch myself in the face right before it. Do it! Do it, Derek. Star Wars. Derek doesn't like Star Wars. I I I like Star Wars fine. I just don't. I think it's hyped up. That's all I got to say. I think I think there's there's I think there's more I think there's more bad movies than good movies. That's all I got to say about that. I think that somebody ruined it for you, and you're supposed to love it. Like no, it's it it there there's a lot of bad stuff about it. It it outweighs the good stuff for me. But that's another story for another time. I feel like there's an alternate universe where there's a Derek that completely that, that, that has an apartment full of Star Wars memorabilia. Yeah, I really do. I really believe that. Instead, I mean, instead of uh, Warhammers, there's a instead, instead of, of giant Warhammers, lightsabers. Instead yeah. of six Game of Thrones weapons on my walls. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So director, uh, this is the year that uh, piece of shit rapist Roman Polanski wins, and everyone there gives him a standing ovation despite the fact that he couldn't attend the ceremony because he he had fled the country. Gross. Uh, yeah. Uh, he wins for The Pianist. Uh, other nominees are Rob Marshall for Chicago, uh, Martin Scorsese, Gangs of New York, Stephen Daldry for The Hours, and Pedro Almodovar. No Peter Jackson, huh? Peter Jackson is not nominated. I mean, what? Yeah, he should be nominated. And it, again, I think it should be him or Scorsese. Agreed. 100% I agree with you. One of the two should have won that one. I would, say, I would say Jackson definitely does more directing. Yeah. But... You know, I think him and Scorsese are, are, are close in that. Yep, for sure. Really, yeah, really glad Scorsese did not direct Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> that would have been really odd. There would have been a lot, of people, a lot of people getting whacked in that movie. My least How? favorite crossover would be if Tarantino directed Lord of the Rings. No, nope, stay away. Well, how would Scorsese get Gimme Shelter into Lord of the Rings? Where, what scene would he put <laughs> Exactly. Helms Deep starts, it's just a shot away. <laughs> he just loses an arrow. <laughs> so best actor, who do we want to put up? Uh, I don't know. I, don't, I, I think there should just have been a category for this movie just been for best cast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's so hard. I don't... Best cast. I mean, yeah. it's, it's hard to, even though there's so many incredible actors, for the amount of screen time and what was achieved, definitely Andy Serkis, number one in this movie. Well, Andy Serkis, I think, would be supporting. So we'll get to that. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it, we'd say there's like a main character would be looking at uh, Viggo Mortensen or Elijah Wood. Probably either of those would be considered lead actor. Yeah, I guess I guess so. For, I would say Elijah Wood is the main character. Okay. But... So let's say... Let's keep yeah. Elijah Wood in mind, and let's would see if we'd nominate that, him. Would you say, because this is the sequel to The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings is the sequel to The Hobbit, would you say that out of the books in the movie, if there's one main actor to the books, it's Frodo? Like, one main character? It would guess have to it, be. Yeah, I guess. I Bilbo and Frodo are the two. Yeah. people out, because I love Sam more. And oh, I shush, love yeah. more. Sam is the hero of the story, and sure. Frodo is the main character. Right, Thank I agree you. with that. Think of the fact that um, that Sean Astin literally found the pirate ship in Goonies and then saves the day. <laughs> and he plays for Notre Dame. It's great. You're, you're all set. Like you're all you're all set. You yeah, it is. Yeah. So the nominees for uh, for best actor this year. It's one not by Daniel Day Lewis. It's it's actually a really good uh, good year. Best actor is won by Adrian Brody uh, in yep. The Pianist. Uh, here are the other nominees. Our good friend Michael Caine, who we covered in our over and over again in our 1999-2000 uh, Oscar series, does not win, but he is nominated uh, for The Quiet American. Daniel Day-Lewis, of course, is nominated for Gangs of New York. Jack Nicholson in About Schmidt. 
Mm. And the guy who I actually think comes very close to beating out Daniel Day-Lewis for me in that category, and that is Nicolas Cage in Adaptation. Shut your mouth, Rick. I hate Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage is one of the worst actors in film Have history. you guys seen I, Adaptation? Yes, and I hated that movie. Oh, I, you're out of your mind. I haven't seen it. All I know is I hate Nick Cage. I'll, I'll give it a like shot. I love the concept of it. I love the dialogue of it, but Nicolas Cage talking to Nicolas Cage and then being a goofy Nicolas Cage talking to a goofier Nicolas Cage and how pathetic his brother was. Awful. Like, I, I, I love that movie. I understand if you love it, and I'm not, but it is no, it's like putting mustard on my hot dog. I hate mustard. I don't want it. <laughs> Come on. Mo- a little mustard. That's how I feel about Nicolas Cage. He's not for me. And I think my wife hates him so much is that's why I hate him. I think she's brainwashed me over the years to hate him because I didn't really care. I just thought he was like the bees guy or the... the I'm ever around you in a barbecue. Guy. I'm going to be like, hey, Joe, do you want some, uh, do you want some Nicolas Cage for your hot dog? And I'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> we went to a barbecue <laughs> with our friends and one of my, like my friend Adam had a giant Nicolas Cage shirt. And Amanda made it a point to just start talking. She did. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. the whole thing. And we love to tell people that um, Ryan Gosling and Nicolas Cage look identical and we can't tell them apart. <laughs> it's so much alike. Just to piss her off and it's so funny. That's awesome. All right, so Best Supporting Actor is won by Chris Cooper, somebody you mentioned earlier in the show, for Adaptation. Other nominees are Ed Harris in The Hours, Paul Newman in Road to Perdition, his last role, John C. Riley in Chicago, and Christopher Walken in Catch Me If You Can. So holy shit. That wasn't nominated for Best Picture. Right. Shocking. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, that's a good movie. So who do we kick out to replace with Andy Serkis here? Because Andy Serkis should have gotten nomination, right? Yeah, Andy Serkis should have been in there for sure. Um, uh, you said Nicholson for a bunch, but that was ma- Best Actor. That right? was Best Actor. So we get Chris-, Chris Cooper, Ed Harris, Paul Newman, John C. Riley, and Chris Walken. Uh, get, get, get Paul Newman out of there. He's had his time in the sun. This is his last role. I don't – yeah, he, he – passed away not long after the ceremony i don't think uh, yeah and i don't think that's particularly that's not his best performance by, right. by a long shot so I'd, I'd say that okay and does anyone want to make a case for for um miranda otto for best supporting actress nah she's not really in it enough for that for me okay all right so now we come to the most important part of the podcast and that is when we put 30 seconds on the clock and Derek tells us why our subject for the week is the greatest movie of all time. Derek, are you ready? Let's do it. Three, two, one, go. Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. This has the greatest battle sequence in any movie in the history of film. It has probably the best cast I've ever seen in a film, unless we're not including the trilogy. Uh, It's absolutely incredible. I think just for this trilogy alone, they should have added a new category at the Academy Awards just for best cast, just because uh, I've never seen a better cast than this ever in any movie. The acting's phenomenal. The pacing's phenomenal. The editing is phenomenal. This is one of the greatest movies of all time. Uh, Might be the best of the trilogy. Who knows? I can't make up my mind. That is time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that is time. So decide for yourself, is The Two Towers the greatest movie of all time? So that's been our episode on Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, the second and perhaps best of the trilogy. Next week, well, let's, uh, let's uh, before, we, uh, before we get to that, uh, Joe, do you have anything to plug today? I definitely want to be in The Return of the King. I definitely want like a couple months in advance uh, <laughs> so I can really digest it and pick it apart and be prepared. Um, Let's schedule for December, sometime in December. 
we'll I'm do building, I'm in the, the process game. of building an above ground pool and <laughs> working nonstop. Um, so I had to just fit the two towers in between every few minutes I had um, just to kind of get, just to watch it. Cause I only watch the extended editions, which I got to go back to the theatrical editions. I really do. I haven't seen those in forever. Cause I own the extended editions uh, on Amazon and I will buy it on in 4k like i will buy the blu-rays i'm just waiting to convince myself to do so um to spend that amount of money uh i own all three audiobooks uh on um that are narrated by robert inglis i think he's the, my favorite narrator of all time um but yeah i have a podcast called you gotta hear this that's with my friend mike baby uh my friend greg erghart and john nolan um guitarist and uh singer of taken back sunday uh, we have episodes we air every Monday. Um, I love doing this podcast. I'm, I watch a movie pretty much a day, but I cannot download the amount of information that you guys spit off um, on these episodes, which I commend very much. Some of my friends are really good at downloading and dissecting and remembering actor names and director names and things like that. I, I'll watch a movie and then I'll wait a few years and I'll watch it again. And it's like I'm watching it for the first time. I forget so much um, but no I had a great time um, check out my podcast you got to hear this I have a band called Narrowcast oh, we're putting out um, an EP pretty soon um, called Phenomena and yeah I definitely want to be on the next one um, I don't know if I want to do the Hobbit ones I have so much negative you don't have to do just Tolkien if you have other movies you want to do let us yeah. know we'll, I yeah. only I want to do the ones that I know yeah. about the most like Tarantino films um classic films from the 90s uh et is one of the greatest um movie that was in the 80s right yeah uh, but i watched in the 90s um but that that's one of my favorites to talk about period we'll say usually what we'll do is we will like we'll get a whole list of movies we're going to do and mm-hmm. then we'll send it out like guests people we want to have in the show will be like what of these movies you want to do so next time we get a big list i will we'll send it to honored you honored yeah if it was a star wars one okay Especially Empire. Well, Empire would be next in the series. We did the we did the original Star Wars. Yep. So. Yeah. Yeah. We'll Empire talk about that. Yeah, you're, you're you're definitely on Return of the King, and we'll we'll, we'll definitely get you on for one of those for sure. That's yeah. the one I know the least about. I think if I've watched all of these the most, I think I've watched Fellowship the most, then Two Towers, then Return of the King. Surprisingly, even though it's gotcha. the end of the story, and it's the end of a story is the whole reason you watch a story. But right. for me, I I like like the first chapter of Treasure Island. Um, I love the early, I like the beginning and the, the set off of the adventure because in your head, you can picture the adventure going other ways. Yeah. So there's fan versions of like different ways Lord of the Rings could have gone or like quick write-ups about like what would have happened, what ifs. And when I'm watching Fellowship, I think of that, um, you know, where could this adventure have gone? How many, like Infinity War, like or Endgame, uh, how many ways did they lose? Yeah. And we're watching the one way where they won. Um, and did they win? They won, but there was a lot of loss and winning with this and uh, uh, a lot of tears in Return of the King for sure. Definitely. But, uh, yeah. yeah, Fellowship will always be my favorite. It reminds me so much of the beginning of Treasure Island and that's why I love it. And it reminds me of all the fantasy games that I grew up playing as a kid in Zelda. Like it just gives you all of those feels. So that will always be my favorite Lord of the Rings movie for sure. Well, awesome. that's that's a great one, Joe. I know uh, I know you have to go. Yep. So we're just going to be plugging our stuff. So if you want to, if you need <laughs> to go, 
Farewell, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you guys for having me. Um, It's been a pleasure. It literally went from this room was light and now it's I guess, yeah, I guess. Darker and now I know. Gollum's cave. So, (laughs) Joe, thanks so much for doing this with us, man. I really appreciate it. Always great to have you on. Take care. See ya. You too. Thanks so much. All right. So, from one music podcast to the other, Derek, what do you have coming up on the greatest album of all time podcast? Well, we just released again, time. I don't know how it works. Plastic Ono Band by John Lennon. We did that. That's probably his best album. We did that with friend Tim Keogh, who was a very big Beatles fan. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, Gia and I just recently recorded our our next one, which was uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash by Crosby, Stills and Nash, their first album, which is a favorite album of mine. Uh, So that'll be released probably uh, after this episode is released. And then next week, we're doing one with a friend uh, from England. My friend from England, his name is Jack Manning, and we're doing Blue by Joni Mitchell. So it's been a lot of uh, folky albums, which is kind of cool. But then after that, we're going to be moving on to Siamese Dream by the Smashing Pumpkins. So uh, moving to the 90s. So we're excited. We're We're having fun doing it. So yeah, it's been good. Well, if you heard my dog there, my apologies. Um, but yeah, so we're looking. F- my dog is very excited about the greatest album of all time podcast. <laughs> so I hope you guys are to check that one out. As far as what's coming up on this podcast, boy, is the month of June going to be fun. Yes. Because next week we're going to have a-, a movie that we've talked about a lot. Maybe the movie we've most quoted other than movies we've done on the show. <laughs> uh, I-, I would say one of them. And that is, of course, Goodfellas. Yes. Can't wait for that episode. Week after that, and these two are, are Rex picks. Uh, week after that is The Warriors. And we're going to have Derek's wife, Gia, back on the show. And that's going to be a ton of fun. But let's announce the Rick's picks for the month of June. Yeah. Yeah. So third week of June, we are going to welcome back to the show our good friend, Cameron Pond. And when I pick this movie, I, you know, it's, it's starting to be summer. It's starting to get hot. And when I think summer, I think baseball. Mm. And when I think baseball movies, I think a lot of movies, but I think one of the, if not the biggest baseball movie of my childhood is the Sandlot. Ooh, yes. And we're doing, Cam's going to be in the show and we are going to do the Sandlot. And then the last week of June cannot wait cannot wait one of my favorite movies one of the most influential sci-fi movies of the 80s and of all time and of course the very handsome harrison ford stars in it and that is blade runner i've never seen it i'm very excited i can't wait we're gonna have to talk about what version because there's a lot of versions of this okay yeah Uh, but we'll uh we'll, we'll we'll get to that we'll cross that bridge when we come to it but Get ready for Goodfellas next week. So for the show, I have been your co-host, Rick Barrasso. And I have been your co-host, the Big Deck Boski. Thanks so much, Deck Boski. And a big thank you to Joe Boynton for being on the show. Always fun to have him on. Can't wait to have him on again. And may the road go ever on. <laughs>